coming at you live from New Jersey. It is Thursday afternoon. This is Craig here in uh, California. Sunny, sunny, cold California. Sunny, cold California. So we can, process of elimination, Craig is not in Southern California. <laughs> there we go. Was that not the biggest, I mean, I guess you already kind of knew about California, but such a misconception about California is it's warm all the time. Isn't that only LA slash San Diego? Yeah. I, I complained about it for years. I was like, I can't believe that that uh, the Bay Area is so foggy and cold so much of the year. Wait, did, but did you know before you moved out there or was it was it a slap in the face? I knew, but until you live it, I think you don't fully, at least I didn't fully, like, internalize it. Okay, so it's sort of, uh, so I kind of think of it as, if you go on vacation and it rains, yeah, it's kind of a bummer, but you're on vacation, so it's all good. But if you live there, it's like, yeah, I, I don't want to do this every day. <laughs> yeah, it's like going to college in Vermont, and by the time it's like, after going through November, December, January, February, March, and then in April, like when it's still like gloomy and dark, you're like, what the heck? Like, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. Stays there for years on end. <laughs> nice. Also, just while we're at it, Craig, how is my audio today? I know we were having a little bit of an issue with my audio, my gain being too loud the last few times, but how is it today? I think it sounds great. All right, sweet. I'm not going to tell you what I did a little differently, at least not right now, because I'm not. The thing with us, Craig, this is this is uh, not just related to the, the microphone. This is actually a bigger, a bigger conversation. I like that we've been testing a lot of stuff out, and it's really brought to my attention that we have a lot of variables moving at once, which is fine, but it made me think of if I truly want to test stuff, I can only change one variable per show. Because yeah. otherwise, it's not a real test. Um, Scientific it, method. Exactly, exactly. Now, it sounds obvious, but th for, those, uh, for those listening, I like to test a lot of stuff. But this was something that was helpful to remind myself that sometimes the test, you're, you're kind of just grasping at straws. But now I'm reminding myself that, you know, if you, I want to do a true, real scientific test, I can only change one variable at a time, which means I need a lot of reps which is very much in alignment with this show. So I am incentivized for several reasons to do this show, but even if Craig and I weren't friends, it would, I would have a reason to do the show to just do real scientific tests each time. One new variable each time, keep the other ones mostly controlled. Obviously, we can't control everything, but keep all the other variables controlled as much as possible, and then this way I can actually truly figure out what works best and that audio is just one example but today i i did change i changed i actually changed two variables today so it's not a true test but um it's it's funny i don't really see myself as a scientist or i never really saw myself as a scientist but i don't know i mean i feel like content but also it probably helps to view view problems like a scientist once in a while yeah, totally. Especially in the days now where, like, to to content is so tied to analytics, and if you want to truly like achieve some 
milestone in some metric like views or or like if you're like doing sales for a company then leads leads towards sales something like that uh then you kind of have to work with those metrics and it like doing exactly what you're saying like kind of approaching it with the scientific method in mind can be super helpful to uh, to getting there more quickly and at least deliberately you know it's like I think a lot of people now say like oh this thing happened and it's totally because of x but they didn't they didn't even think about y z w you know and those other variables have just as much a chance of causing the thing as as uh as reason x so yeah, I think like having that scientific method in your mind kind of churning in the background is is always good. No, I like that. I like that. I actually made me think of well, actually I'm curious. What's your kind of experience learn, learning the scientific method or being, you know, introduced to that way of thinking because I have my story and it was reminded to me by a podcast by Naval Ravikant that I listened to semi recently. Um and I can share that. But Craig, I was just wondering if you have like an early memory where you started to at least consider that way of thinking. Not that you were using it all the time, but it's funny that I'm taking us here today because I was not expecting to take us here, but it's just one thing leads to another. So, Yeah, I, I have, I think, three different memories related to scientific method. Um, the first is... Like, I was homeschooled for a long time, and so when I, as a homeschooler, like, there was a lot of learning that happened informally, kind of. It was like, when I was in elementary school, like, I learned so much from going down to the pond or the the local river and and looking for the bugs and then researching the bug and learning about how that bug fits into the... Uh, like the animal kingdom and the food chain and all of that. Uh, and looking at plants and learning about photosynthesis. So I loved that. And growing up with that as a very young kid, I was totally on board with being a scientist. I was like, this is so cool. You get to learn all this stuff. You get to explore, do all this fun stuff. And then I remember in like middle school, this is the second memory, getting into more formal chemistry labs, I think. And I just remember being like, why do you have to write everything down? Like you have to record like every run of an experiment that you do, every variable that you change, like you have to record it all. And I was just like, I love doing the experiments, but I hate the idea of, of recording it all and writing it all down. And so then I was kind of like turned off from it. And then the third uh, memory related to this is at Middlebury, I took chemistry 104, I think. And I just remember going through this class and doing the labs and the labs were fun, uh, but they were very much like about recording things instead of like exploring organically. And I remember thinking, like, I 
have so far to go on this before I do anything original, anything unique. All of this stuff has already been done. I'm just like copying somebody else's work. Uh, and I, I didn't like the idea of, of doing that. So that was the last uh, last chemistry class I took. And that was when you were how old, roughly? 20, 19. Okay, so, the, okay, so the, yeah, gotcha. Wow, so if we... if I, I'm just really fascinated by this because of how science at its core is actually, in my opinion, kind of at odds with the modern education system. Like, the modern education system, being wrong is bad. Wrong answer, bad. But science is all about being wrong, like, basically every single time. <laughs> yeah. So that that idea is, I think it's true. I think it's true. It, so it, it, it continues to intrigue me because I personally have an issue being wrong a lot. So I'm trying to find ways to, you know, examples in nature that <laughs> uh, I'm considering this an example in everyday life in nature that um, you can't be successful unless you are wrong a very high percentage of the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like science, it's all about like proving hypotheses. And then if you're hypothesis is wrong then you adjust it and and test it again and i think that that kind of model like that is very if you approach science with that attitude of of kind of like a very sterile attitude towards this it's like it 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 doesn't get as as personal you know it's like the scientist doesn't care you know, like they're trying to achieve truth and or or some discovery. And yes, like it takes time and like there's nuances with grant money and stuff like that. But if you ignore that, basically their job, their like what they've dedicated their life to is coming up with hypotheses and testing them. Yeah. And hypotheses aren't like it's not like personal to them it's just like the next the next most important idea to test right you actually you actually just made me think of though why so even though it's the word science is in computer science computer scientist i don't i mean i mean i'm really intrigued in like a, a natural in, in like a natural scientist like a biologist something like that and i'm wondering based on what you said wouldn't it make sense that natural science natural scientists would be more common in business if they're able to be impersonal with stuff they can see it for what it is and not for what kind of their personal aspirations need to see it as i mean i i see kind of two arguments here i didn't i think the other side of it though is that with the natural scientists being in the academia world you could argue it's similar to an entrepreneur in Silicon Valley trying to pitch for funding. I know in academia, it's very common to pitch for grants. So I wonder, though, if if we treat both those different, like uh, entrepreneur in Silicon Valley, uh, out in your neck of the woods, Craig, uh, pitching for venture capital, 
and then a natural scientist pitching for a grant. I just wonder if that can hold back uh, a natural scientist who has the the skills, like the the ability to build hypotheses, test them, um, but always looking for money from other people. I wonder if that stops the business building side. And I, I, I didn't want to use the venture capital example because that's just one way to build a business. And I feel like people have, over the years, they think a little bit differently about funding. I feel like when we were growing up, Craig, the only way I knew, was aware of to grow a business was, was that, oh, you had to get people to give you money. And then over the years, you've been hearing, it's it's more common to hear different stories of you know, not doing that. I mean, bootstrapping is kind of the antithesis to it, but... Um, there was a lot I shared there. Well, actually, maybe a little, but it felt like a lot of different parts there. So, uh, Craig, I would say for you, you're you're welcome to comment on any, any or all of that, or if you want to take us in a little bit of a different direction for today. I know that the audience doesn't know it. We didn't say it in the beginning, but we're actually shorter on time today, and we intentionally scheduled this episode at a time where we're not able to go for as long. So uh, you probably, I feel like people probably can't tell because I don't think our pace has changed that much, but I'm just basically having a meta commentary with my co-host here about what we want to do for the, for the rest of this episode. Yeah, I can, I can comment on that. I think it's a, I think you brought up some really interesting points. Uh, chief of which is the idea of a scientist starting a business around their scientific discovery. I think that that is something that is, it's one of the most important things for the progress of society to have leading edge scientists turn their discoveries into businesses. And this is something I've been thinking about for a long time because years ago, like maybe 10 years ago, I realize that there's a huge gap there's a big air gap between the scientists and the entrepreneurs starting the businesses and they're very different people doing each of those phases one example of this is a scientist is very exact and deliberate and prepares everything ahead of time and uh, records every step that they take so that they can re redo it and make sure that every fact that they've put into a paper is cited and uh, is provable by peers. Whereas an entrepreneur very often is shooting from the hip, you know, like very inexact, just like sprinting full speed, trying to get something sold to someone before they run out of money. And so those are such different attitudes towards doing anything that I think that often the the scientists don't want to become entrepreneurs. And even if they do want to, I don't think they're they're like naturally good at it. And so I think that there's like there's some uh some firms, some people working on this, like trying to match up entrepreneurs with scientists, but I still think that there's an opportunity there to have a very direct funnel 
basically as soon as a scientist has a discovery, just push it over into the entrepreneurship side, have assign a couple founders, a small like team of scientists or engineers, whoever it is, and just like get it going and have no no opportunity for it to drop there. Mm-hmm. I, I, just, I just thought of a lot of different things there. One thing I, I did want to comment on is as you were explaining, and I thought you were explaining really well of the scientific process of being so meticulous and exact. And that word exact it almost triggered me a little bit because it made me think of it's almost a juxtaposition to be a natural scientist because you're so exact in your testing, but your testing's wrong most of the time. Like your hypothesis, it'd be weird to do an experiment. It, it, being a natural scientist, I don't think is, is what when we were younger, Craig, like having to do projects. Um, well, you mentioned actually earlier this episode that you were homeschooled uh, until what age, Craig? Through sophomore year of high school. Okay. So what, about 15? Okay. Because I, I was going to actually pull an example. When I was in middle school, so I guess, uh, was was that age, 11 to 13-ish? I remember we would do these science fair projects. And the, the thing about it, it was in theory, you had to develop a hypothesis and then test it. But because a lot of us wanted to get good grades, we would end up testing hypotheses of things that we were pretty sure to be true, which is counterintuitive to running the experiment anyway. But it's kind of similar to a research paper versus a thesis, writing a thesis. At least this is what I found is research papers when you're younger, you want to get a good grade. So you pick a topic that you know you can prove or you're very confident you can prove. But then a thesis is, I don't know the answer. And the actual introduction paragraph (laughs) to this thesis is going to change once a week, every few days. It's going to change regularly. And I feel like those are two very different ways of 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 learning. One is more guaranteed, the research paper with the 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 grade or the mark you're going to get on it. But the uncertainty in the thesis, I would argue is more fun, but it's harder to get a good grade <laughs> because you're constantly just grasping at different ideas and you're constantly reworking your opening line. Which I wonder in it, if there's something to be learned there when it comes to the business. Because for me, I feel like I, now that I bring up this thesis example, because I had to write a mini thesis because I majored in history. And I remember in that context, it made, and, and our advisor explained to us that, you know, you're, <laughs> your opening to your thesis is going to change regularly as new information comes available to you. And I wonder if that's actually a really good corollary to running a business is I find that one of my flaws with running a business is I try to get everything perfect so soon. And recently I started thinking about it in terms of, hey, Randy, like you want to get everything right, but just first off, think of it in phases. Like I haven't thought of it in phases. so That's one thing that's kind of helped me. But this other thing of thinking about the opening line of your thesis to graduate college well, mine wasn't to graduate college. Mine was the thesis before the thesis, but that's a story for another day. Um, I wonder if that approach can be really useful for me in thinking about how to be a better business operator is 
the opening sentence, your thesis, your opening paragraph is always going to change as new information becomes available. And I think that might help fight against or, or provide balance against imposter syndrome. And it's, I, I'm just I'm just thinking about this live, Craig, but it just made me think of, I feel like over the years, I've constantly been changing my main thesis and I felt like, oh man, like I should have known this already. I should have known this already. I should have known this already. But now I think about it as if I was writing a really good thesis. That's part of it. Your, your opener is changing whenever new information becomes available. So it's made me think of in terms of when you do content, it probably doesn't make sense to be, a lot of people recommend doing the, like using you in your videos when you're doing content because you want to talk to you. But I, I feel like that's kind of a struggle if your opening thesis is always changing. Because if you go look back at your videos, every video is going to be, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this, you should not do this. But as new information becomes available, maybe you should. So I, I, I'm grappling with a lot of different ideas there. And I, I did I did bring it into the focus of me thinking about um, how to run a business better. But... Once again, Craig, I, I'm giving you a lot to work with, or a little to a little to work with. I love it. Yeah, I think you. I think you make some good points. Like, I think I'll try to connect the business idea with the the science fair idea. So, what you said about a science fair is like, I I think you're spot on there. Like, I'll, I think a lot of a lot of uh, to the detriment of creating future scientists, there are a lot of teachers who teach science that connect the grade to the result of of proving a hypothesis. So as in like you get a good grade if your hypothesis is correct. But I think that that's like fundamentally flawed. Like the grade should have nothing to do with whether your hypothesis was correct. The grade should have everything to do with how you went about proving or disproving it because that that's what they're trying to teach right it's like they're not trying to teach guessing hypotheses they're trying to teach the process of of proving or disproving which is also really hard to grade now that i think about it so maybe it's just really hard to grade that part because it's very how do you grade the mental models <laughs> yeah well it it's not like it you should grade like the experiments that were run, the data that was collected, how it was collected, the um like the yeah, like the evidence that you have of running of of proving or disproving. So um like maybe there's there's some areas of science where that's better or worse. Um but like where it makes sense to grade based on a result is at a much longer time scale. So if you think about science, scientists in the real world, yes, a scientist could go throughout their whole career disproving things or chasing hypotheses that end up not leading to a great discovery. But I think that a lot of scientists would prefer a career where at least once or twice they come up with something unique. And so if you bring that back to the the science teacher in middle school, they really should kind of encourage the iteration of coming up with the hypothesis, testing it, 
proving, disproving, coming up with another hypothesis. And that way they, they kind of reward, they build in this process of, of failing forward, you know, like keep going, keep iterating until you, you achieve something that, that you, that means something. And I think for like bringing this into the business context, it's like, there's only one thing. Well, it depends on the entrepreneur, but the kind of the way I think about it is like, there's only one thing you have to be right about. And it's not even a right or wrong. It's just, you want your business to be successful. Right. And so if you, if, if I have that as like my, whatever I do, I need my business to be successful. Then like being wrong, like failing in one aspect and having to pivot, that is potentially like a huge step forward in having a successful business. Even if it, if it is a total failure of that hypothesis of that work that I've been doing for months. And so I think like having this sense of like time scale in combination with what your actual like big goal is, is super helpful when you, when I think about this idea of like, of failure or like, um, like having a hypothesis that doesn't end up being correct. Mm. Could, could you, could you clarify a little bit, use the phrase timescale? What did you mean by that? I hadn't heard, hadn't heard that type of phrase before. Yeah. So like timescale is like, like if you think about it, like on a map, like if you are, if you're on Google maps and you zoom into your neighborhood, there's usually a little scale on the edge of the map somewhere. That's like one inch is equal to a mile or something like that. And so that gives you like the scale of the map that you're looking at. And then if you zoom out on the map, it's a different scale. It's like that one inch is equal to 10 miles, something like that. So if you think about that with time, it's like, if you're thinking about goals and progress within a time scale of one month, that's a much, you prioritize things differently. You think about things differently than if you're thinking about it in five years. Right. You know, and also, by the way, I know we, we've done this, uh, we've made the move from video to, to audio strictly, but I will say, Craig, I love the the sort of visual imagery you have for explaining things because we could argue what you're saying is said in a cliched phrase, like like think long term. <laughs> but it just doesn't hit as as well as when you explain it to me in a very niche example. Because now I'm thinking of the map and yeah, I, totally. I could totally relate with the different maps have different um, different scales. It's almost like when you when you look at a, a map of the United States and they throw Alaska in, every map throws Alaska in differently, which is funny because sometimes Alaska is gigantic on the map and sometimes it's incredibly small relative to the actual scale. And then you'll see in the fine print saying, not drawn to scale, uh, contiguous, non-contiguous states, not drawn to scale. Um, but yeah, I appreciate the the visual example I, this is not the first one you've had. I think you, over the last so many episodes, 
I, I think there's been times where you've had visual examples, and I, I really like that. I, I wonder. I wonder. Do you feel like? I feel like you've made some of the examples when we were doing video, but I love hearing these examples strictly through audio because now I'm putting my own image image to it. Because I'm a, I'm able to not have to look at the camera talking to you, and I can just kind of not daydream. That's not the right word because I am listening, but the visualize visual. I could just visualize the audio based on your audio storytelling, which is another rational, another way of me to rationalize the audio only experience. But, um, I, yeah. uh, I really like, I, I really like it. You have a good point there. Like, like you can only do so much with every piece of your brain at once. And so like, if you're looking at video and trying to look good, and so you're processing video processing visually, you then can't use that part of your brain that processes visual information to really understand one of these like visual examples and and that's why i think i think that's why people will often like look up at the ceiling or like down at the floor when they're thinking because and i think hypothesis here unproven at least not to my knowledge but hypothesis is that people who are very visual thinkers like I am probably do that more often look away when they're thinking more often because they're they're holding some visual uh mental model in their mind while they come up with the response makes a lot of sense makes a lot of sense actually I wonder too if if this is similar or a little bit different you know I don't know if I'm a visual thinker I guess I am but I don't really know. But what I will say is being able to look away, even though someone's talking to me, being able to look away when I don't have to focus on someone, I feel like similar to what you were saying, my, my brain, um, you said that it's hard for the brain to focus on so much at once. I feel like I have more bandwidth to actually understand what they're saying. Even though it might be rude to look away, as opposed to looking someone in the eyes when they're speaking to you. Not, not in a weird way. Not, you know, we just came off Halloween. Don't, don't look into the, the windows of their soul. But <laughs> it just, this whole audio only thing is just opening up different ways of understanding that there is potentially more intention around this than even we gave credit to before. Because we, we did have an intention before, but I feel like now I, I keep prefacing it with, I might be just rationalizing not wanting to do video with this, but it just seems like there's these little micro benefits that are starting to add up that could really lead to something like a macro benefit of do it audio show. There will be time and there will be room for video later when you have a, a stronger audio foundation. Totally. Yeah, one, one idea before we close out here. How cool would it be if we had some AI tool that was listening to our conversation. And whenever there was a visual reference, like what I was talking about with the map or like the time scale, it could create on the fly, like a, a visual representation and show it on, on the computer screen. So like you're talking about like a timeline, like how cool would it be if it could like listen to what I'm saying and like draw a timeline and then put the like a three word bullet point of each like 
milestone of that timeline on the timeline as we're t we're talking. That would be very cool. What umbrella is that under? I mean, you mentioned AI, but is that computer vision or what is what umbrella is that under? Because I'm talking to a computer scientist right now, uh, so that I can Google it immediately after this. Yeah, that's generative AI, and mm -hmm. it's kind of a combination of a few different things. I. Uh, probably has some elements of a large language model, uh, which is what powers something like ChatGPT. And then it also has the visual side, which is like Dolly or some of those other, uh, like create an image based on text uh, tools. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah, ge so generative AI, you you brought that phrase up. I know we're gonna wrap up soon, but I actually haven't done a lot of research on like the different types of AI. My lens into it is based on what you described of imagine if an AI was listening and was could kind of create these live diagrams and visuals for us. The closest thing from my point of view is automated B-roll in videos, AI generated B-roll. And I love the idea, but in the few different tools I've tested, the B-roll that they that is chosen, I almost feel like detracts from the video. And it just makes me think of, it's so much better when a human chooses the chooses the B-roll. Like there's a little bit of an art to that. And um, I just wanted to mention that really quickly because I might want to mention in a future episode about like different AI video tools. Because um, I'm still, I, I'm still thinking about creative, intentional ways to sprinkle video around our our stronghold of audio. Yeah. Yeah, I think love to hear more of your thoughts on that. But but yeah, I think that like in general AI has come a long way, but has a long way to go. Like I I think that a lot of quality is low. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh it's funny. I, 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 because of wrapping up, it doesn't really make sense to get into that whole argument of, of you know, what jobs AI is going to take, and then which ones still need a human operator. I, I feel like it depends who you talk to. But, um, what do you think is the best way, Craig, for us to, to take it, take it home today? Uh, we're in, we're in on footage runtime. I say footage. I can't say footage anymore, Craig, because I don't have video. <laughs> What do I say? Tape. I don't know. The tape. That's right. That's good. That's good. So uh, we're about 35 minutes in on the tape. Um, do we do we give, us, give ourselves an out today and just and stop cold turkey? Or how do, we wrap, how do we wrap this whole nebulous that we did today? I got you. I got you. So what would I do without Craig? <laughs> Dear God. Dear God. So the takeaway, if you don't listen to... Anything other than this one takeaway, you'll be fine. The takeaway here is to have the scientific method boiling in the back of your mind as you navigate your life because it will allow you to think more deeply about things that come your way, create more effective strategies when you're uh, building something new, and have more... Uh, more facts, more uh, more arguments on your side when somebody 
questions what you're doing. So that's, that's the takeaway for today. And I'll leave us with one fun fact related to something we mentioned earlier. So the map. Ooh, this scale. is not prepped, everyone. This is, Randy's an audience member now. I love it. So, uh, so we mentioned, Randy had a great example of the map earlier and how Alaska looks different on the map every, every map that you see. So I looked it up and uh, this random source on the internet. So who knows if it's correct, but it seems correct. Oh yeah, there's a few different sources. Okay, I'm checking, I'm checking myself as we go. So Alaska is 17% of the land area of the United States. So it's huge. Uh, the maps that display it as huge are, are correct. So uh, think about that next time you, you look at a map and uh, make sure you actually pay attention to that fine print that says not to scale uh, in whatever you do. So any last words, Randy? Uh, not really. I actually thought it was bigger than 17. Like in my head, I'm like, I always thought Alaska was like, but anyways, I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm just, it's always interesting to hear when a number is put to something. Cause you're like, Oh, I don't know that. Oh, yeah. It's always that. Huh? Uh, but yeah, I don't really have much to add to close out today. Other than this is technically, if we don't count our reflections, this is technically our 10th episode. Um, however, episode seven was a little bit of a shite show because I wanted to use uh, an iOS app to record. The, uh, I used the Podcastle iOS app, but I was also in a park in a city. Uh, my audio was was pretty darn bad, so um, I'm probably going to have to, uh, just on a quick note, if you haven't heard that episode yet, um, but uh, I think I'm just going to release it without the audio repair because the audio is so bad that the audio repair makes it worse, which is kind of a funny uh, thing because with AI it's, it's really turning on and off a switch as opposed to having a human you know manually move the switches so um, I guess I just felt the need to share that even though I it's not a great way to wrap up the episode but I, I am very tempted to release that episode anyway just so we can have some chrono chronological nature to this show I even when we went to our podcast host Craig it says episodic but I was like we're kind of doing it like serial, like the, the chron, the chrono, I can't say the word chronology, the chronology. Is that right? Yeah. I feel like the chronology matters because if you want to really appreciate, uh, cause I'm kind of thinking our, our podcast right now, Craig could be really good for people on the fence because if you're on the fence, you know, don't go watch a bunch of videos trying to figure it out because we all know that when we watch videos, it's really hard to take action right away. Almost just like if you're at the gym or you're in the car, just start listening to a show like this where we're we're basically taking you through what it's like. And if we give you uh, the, the episodes in exact order, you can, I think, kind of appreciate that ascension. Theoretical ascension. But I honestly I honestly feel like we are getting better. I don't mean to toot our own horns, but it's just this is becoming way more comfortable than I would have thought. And I, I think it's due to the audio, but there's probably other factors at play too. Yeah, reps, man. Reps, baby. We're in the pod. We're in the podcast gym. PG. This is P PG rated. Um, all right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, this is theoretically episode ten. It's a different number. Don't sue me. I'll have a disclaimer. <laughs> I'll have a disclaimer in the show notes. Uh, but thanks again, Craig. Um, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you in the next one. Thank you, Randy. Thanks everybody. Peace.